Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics podcast from Stratfor, part of the RAIN network of companies. I'm Emily Donahue. In this podcast, I'm speaking with Evan Reese, Stratfor's Asia-Pacific analyst, about Hong Kong. Evan, welcome. Thank you so much, Emily. We knew this was coming. We've watched the protests over the past year, and now it has happened. China has instituted a new national security law and already made arrests in Hong Kong. What does the new national security law empower Hong Kong authorities to do? So it's focused on four crimes, secession, subversion, terrorism, and foreign collusion. And we finally got a look at the full text after waiting for this for months at this point. Um, the definitions, as expected, are pretty broad, and the penalties are pretty severe for people who are prosecuted up to life in prison, lower penalties, 10 years, three years, things like that. This empowers authorities to go hard against people who are violating these laws, and that, that, could, that could run the gamut from you know holding a pro-independence Hong Kong sign during a protest to potentially speech acts online. And, and this could also be used to target lawmakers and public officials who, uh, who engage in this as well. I think what's most interesting here is also the role that this gives to Chinese authorities inside of Hong Kong. They're going to have a much larger footprint in terms of operating inside of Hong Kong, conducting investigations, and maybe even getting some of these trials over national security law violations transferred into the Chinese legal system under certain circumstances, which could, you know, kick uh, Hong Kong opposition forces into a totally different world with much more opaque and uh, and less accountable prosecutions. Yes, that's a, a very huge change from the way Hong Kong has operated, certainly in the past and up to this point. What does this mean for the future of opposition politics in Hong Kong? What this means is we're in a new and uncertain world. Some people are talking about the death of one country, two systems, which was the foundational principle for for the way Hong Kong was supposed to proceed following the 1997 handover from the UK. Some people are calling it now one country, one system. I don't think we're quite there yet. What we have here is a very powerful tool in the hands of Hong Kong authorities and in the hands of Chinese authorities to go after the opposition where and when that opposition steps over certain red lines and if authorities deem appropriate to even push really hard against what would be considered fairly routine activity. So what I think we're in for with opposition politics in Hong Kong is not this killer stroke death of opposition politics and protests in Hong Kong, but a a volatile period where you see a back and forth between authorities who are going to try to scare protesters off the streets, try to keep opposition politicians in line, and the opposition and protesters who are going to try to keep public furor alive against Beijing's encroachment into Hong Kong. Um, And that can play out in a number of different ways. I mean, you could see more turnout on the streets. We had people come out on the streets for July 1st, which was the anniversary of the handover. They did this in full knowledge of what the law entailed, and many of them openly defied the law. Um, As you said, there's about 10 arrests so far. Um, So what actually plays out with those arrests will actually be will be key next uh, in terms of how successful they are in prosecuting them, how aggressive they are. I mean, I would note overall, though, in the July 1st protests, we had 370 arrests total officially confirmed right now, and only 10 of them were for national security law violations. And people came out in defiance of the ban. So you might see more of that going forward. 
Evan, there's been no love lost between the United States and China, certainly in the trade arena. What has the U.S. reaction been to this new law so far? So the U.S. has, to date, taken a relatively measured approach to this. Shortly after we had confirmation that the national security law was moving forward, we had President Trump come out in a very high-profile way, um, saying that the U.S. is going to utterly change its policies towards Hong Kong which have treated it in the past as a distinct entity from China. Mike Pompeo decertified Hong Kong's autonomy from China, um, and that set the stage for a whole range of U.S. actions that they could take. Since that time, they haven't moved on many of the parts of that toolkit. Now, I'm sure many of those things are still under consideration, but what they have done is instead they've imposed visa restrictions on Chinese and Hong Kong officials that are directly involved with undermining Hong Kong autonomy, and they've also moved to end uh, dual use and defense exports to Hong Kong, which is, which is a relatively small part of U.S. exports to Hong Kong. What might happen next uh, depends a lot on the White House considerations about its broader outreach to China. There's still many signs that the White House is interested in preserving this phase one trade deal and moving very aggressively on Hong Kong certainly would not pay dividends on that front. That having been said, there are other things that the U.S. can do. One of them would be scrapping Hong Kong's special tariff status under U.S. law, which would make it subject to the sweeping tariffs that the Trump administration has imposed on the rest of China. Once again, that's not a huge hit to Hong Kong's economy, given the relatively small proportion of that trade, but it would certainly be a black eye for Hong Kong's status as an international business hub. So that's a a very complicated list of things that could happen uh, when it comes to the United States reaction. And I know that you'll be keeping your eye on that. I did see that there were some reactions from other leaders worldwide almost immediately. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So most notably, I would point to the reaction out of the United Kingdom, which of course is directly involved uh, in Hong Kong history, just by dint of having fostered the handover from British colonial rule to Chinese rule in uh, in 1997. The reaction was that the British government is going to open up um, a path to citizenship for about 3 million Hong Kongers who hold a special passport, which is a British national overseas passport, which allows them to sort of travel more freely. That provides an exit point for a lot of Hong Kongers who might be leaving uh, in the wake of this unrest. On top of that, we have Taiwan opening a new office, which is specifically set to foster the immigration of Hong Kongers who are fleeing Hong Kong. And then the third thing that I thought was interesting, and this kind of takes us back to the U.S. because this parallels that, is we have the introduction in the Senate of a bill that would allow Hong Kongers to seek refugee status in the United States. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so we're seeing this this broader reaction globally to try to foster some sort of exit ramp for Hong Kongers who have to get out of Hong Kong if the national security law takes a severe turn, which is a very high possibility. Evan, thank you so much for that insight. Thank you so much, Emily. Evan Reese is Stratfor's Asia-Pacific analyst. There's a lot more to this story. If you would like to read Evan Reese's geopolitical forecasts and analysis of Hong Kong, China, and the region, subscribe to Stratfor Worldview. Podcast listeners get a special rate. Go to stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's all one word, stratfor.com slash podcast offer. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.